0: On today's episode of the Agency X Podcast, I spoke with Tomo from Nashi Foods. He's the founder and creator of uh, Nashi Food Paint for Kids. Uh, Really great product and it was really interesting backstory. He started off in the fashion space and now moved to creating food products for kids. His products can be found in a lot of major retailers. He's also selling on a Shopify e-commerce website. Uh, We had a really great conversation about both selling in larger stores as well as uh, developing the brand, why he. created it uh, and also selling via e-commerce. So it was a really interesting conversation about his history and about the the state of e-commerce and retail right now. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: This episode is sponsored by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the number one e-commerce help desk that lets you manage and respond to messages from your site, social, email, and SMS, all in one platform. They have built in automations to handle common queries like order tracking and save your team time and money. Get a free month by clicking the link in the description and elevate your customer experience today.
0: You're listening to the Agency X Podcast. I'm your host, John Cerdikowski, founder and CEO at Avex, a New York City-based e-commerce agency for high-growth D2C brands. As always, I'm joined by our e-commerce strategist, David Anzalone. Our goal is to provide some insight into e-commerce, technology, design, and everything in between. Let us know what you think of today's episode and make sure to visit our website, avexdesigns.com. Okay. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining today, Tomo. I really appreciate the time today. Um, Excited to jump into this this discussion. Um, It's been a while. I know that we spoke back and forth about various things in the past, but I'm really glad that we could sit down and learn more about your brand and what you've been working on. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, So just wanted to start off a little bit of introduction about yourself, just so that our listeners can learn more about uh, who you are um, and what you've been working on.
1: Yeah, my name is Tomo Delaney. Um, I am the CEO and founder of Noshi, which is a kid's organic food company. Um, Before that, rather randomly, I worked in the fashion industry for my entire career for 22 years. And then when my second kid was born in 2010, I used it as an excuse to extricate myself from the fashion industry. The Fashion was amazingly good fun and exciting and glamorous uh, when I was in my 20s, but it rapidly lost its appeal as I sort of got older and, and was trying to bring up kids at the same time. So I used this as an excuse to jump ship and found myself at home with a one-year-old and a five-year-old, both of whom were very, very picky eaters. Um, and so I was spending a lot of time with Davey, my one-year-old, um, in his stroller walking around grocery stores in lower Manhattan looking for anything that might interest them enough to actually stop and want to get up to the table and actually pay attention to the food on the plate in front of them. And Noshi came about as a result of that, basically, um, after a family friend made a suggestion as to you – know, uh, I was talking to her about it, and she said, why don't you present food to children by color rather than flavor? And within about two minutes of her saying that, I was like, "Ah, oh, that's a really good idea. Why, surely somebody must have done this before." Um, and of course, they hadn't. And 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 if you bring in an element of creativity and and ask kids, you know, give kids the ability to draw a picture with their food on their food, it sort of suddenly started ticking one box after another. I was sort of looking at my two kids and thinking. This is how you spend your time, and when you know, this is how you want to spend your time. You know, kids have these amazing, limitless imaginations, and they're desperate to get all of these ideas out onto paper and into song and and you know, painting and drawing and, and telling you stories and having you tell them stories, which you know, fire their imagination more and more. Like, why can't I just? Why can't we make meal times into just an extended playtime? You know, give them an excuse to want to get up to the table, to be excited to get up to the table, and actually have a little mission to complete while they're at the table.
0: Mm. that's that's really interesting i I, I, that's a a a big contrast from the fashion world to uh kids food (laughs) uh, because i I, i've worked in the fashion space for quite a while too a lot of the the clients that we work with are are you know fashion lifestyle yeah completely different dynamic than when you're working with food and beverage or or cpg or something like that it's it's the whether it's the design aesthetic or even the technology or the approach and the language being used, it's, it's very, very different. Um, so I totally hear you on that. And, you know, we've actually shifted away from some of the fashion brands or working with more types of brands that are not only in the fashion space. So, um, I can totally get where you're coming from with that transition, but something interesting that you just said was, um, presenting, uh, food to children in color rather than flavor and having a three-year-old i totally get that because they make their decisions less about like taste or what it is like for example my three-year-old he refuses to eat most things like he loves bread and like that's it i feel Uh, (laughs) you and like we tried to give him even like um like organic chicken nuggets that we bought and I try to tell him it tastes good, it tastes good, but like you know, daddy eats it, it tastes delicious. You'd like it, you like it. That doesn't it well. <laughs> it's not it's the texture of it. He'll bite it, and if it's not the texture that he's expecting, if it's not crispy enough, or if it's a certain color, whatever it is, he sees it and it's automatically it's yucky, no matter what, even if it tastes good to him, it's just you know the, their minds are processing things in a yeah. completely different way. So the idea of presenting it in color allows them to like see it Oh, i like the color blue or i like the color red so yeah. that must be yummy
1: exactly and also i like painting i like colors i like doing stuff with colors and also the the the, the real key the big thing though the the really all of it hinges on is kids love to complete tasks that you know they mm-hmm. they love they love responsibility they love the feeling of independence they love being given something to do and they really, really want to do their parents proud. They want, you know, especially when they're younger. I mean, I've got a 14 year old daughter, she this the, the 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 opposite becomes true as they get older. But when they're three, four, five, six, seven years old, you ask them to do something, they want to please you. They want to they want to impress you. They want to show you they can do this thing. So if you say to them, hey, not only am I giving you the opportunity to get out to the table and have fun, oh, you know, by using this stuff and yeah, you know, and it's like playing. So you know it's almost like a sort of guilty Pleasure for them. They don't they can't quite believe that you're asking them to paint a picture on their food to mm. play with their food, you know, which in contrast to our generation, we were always taught, don't play with your food. Why yeah. not? Why not? Millennial parents who are our target audience, they've got a completely different approach to mealtimes. I, I, you know, people are increasingly realizing that picky eaters, you know, there's a lot of them out there. And why would you fight them? Why wouldn't you just Ultimately, you need them to eat food, and you need, them, need yeah. them to eat food that's as healthy as possible. So, what we're doing is, as I said before, we're just ticking a number of boxes. We're giving them more freedom at the meals at the table, more, you know, and it's a way to, you know, um, express themselves, you know, a creative outlet, you know, a guilty pleasure. They're playing; um, it's colourful. Their moms don't mind necessarily as much nowadays as my mom would have done. There's no no way my mom would have let me do this when I was three years old, but let's just all relax and give them a bit of space and give them something to do for themselves.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, as I wouldn't consider myself a seasoned parent, you know, I'm only three years in, but it's, and I I don't think that's ever going to stop. And same thing with business. It's like every year that you go, you're learning something new and facing new challenges. And when you're in it, you're like, oh, this isn't going to end. Or I can't wait till this phase is over. We want to move to the next (laughs) phase. And then you're just going to run into more challenges. And And what I'm definitely learning now is a good point that you bring up is that kind of let them be and let them figure out their own way instead of trying to force them into some box. Like you said, don't play with your food or, you know, don't make a mess or, um, you know, certain things they need to kind of figure out on their own. Um, Whereas, you know, that's definitely going to benefit them later on in life, but it's also going to make it easier on you as a parent as being able to say, you know, does it matter if they play with their food and make a mess? I'm just going to have to clean it up. Otherwise it's going to cause an argument and a temper tantrum and, I rather avoid that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, well, for a start, they don't. They tend not to make a mess with it. I mean, if you if you give a, a you know three tubes of food paint to a one year old, they are just going to go. <laughs> but yeah. if you give you know if you give it a, a tube of food paint to a five six year old, four five six year old. And you give them a task: draw a draw a face on your pancake, write your name on your pancake, write your name on your oatmeal. They sit down and they do it, and they focus and they concentrate, and they're like, "Wow, this is mm-hmm. amazing! You yeah, I'm, I'm being allowed to draw a picture on my food, and this this stuff itself is amazing. Oh, and by oh my god, it tastes amazing too. This is great." And um, yeah. yeah, to your point about being a new parent, yeah, I when Dot, our first child, started preschool we were making her these unbelievably elaborate meals in a in a lunchbox and it had pasta and steamed broccoli and and of course she was mm. coming home every day and she hadn't eaten any of it and <laughs> okay. we were new parents and we were like What's happened? Why? Why isn't she eating this amazing food we're making for? You know, there's a disconnect there. When she's sitting at the table opposite us, you know, you can you sort of almost subconsciously work out how to get some food into your kid. But suddenly, she was going to school and she was coming home and she hadn't eaten any food. And this this was probably the first real lesson to me. I remember specifically saying to her, to the principal of her preschool, and saying, "My God, this is a nightmare. I don't know what to do. How do we get her to eat her lunch?" And the principal just said, "Tomo." I've never known a child starve itself to death. When they need to eat the food, they'll eat the food. If they're hungry, they'll eat some food. They might not eat all of it, but they'll eat it. And it's really just, again, letting them get on with it. Just let the kids get on with it. Just leave them alone. We've got to stop coddling them and wrapping them in cotton wool. Just just leave them alone. And and, and, generally, the cards generally fall in the right place.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. so definitely leave them alone. Let them find their own way. And if they're hungry, they're going to eat. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, with my son, he gets very hangry. So it'd be, meaning, all if two. he doesn't eat, he is a completely different child. But <laughs> two, besides yeah.
1: the point, ten. But but again, you know, like you've just got to be okay. All you need to do is have a snack now. And it's like, <laughs> ultimately he has the snack. He just didn't realize he needed it. Right, that's the, yep. that's the problem. Sometimes they they you know, yes, especially if they've been running around in the schoolyard for three hours and they come home and they're like shaking with hunger and they can't work out what it is. I'm like just you just need to have a snack. Yep, here's a tube of food paint and you know, shoves
0: it straight in the mouth. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, my kid definitely loved him when you uh, shared some samples. So that's great. And I think right. that's a great problem that you're solving. It seems like it's, it's nutritionist. It was it has nutrition in it. It's not just sugar that they're putting on things yeah. um and that it you know kind of helps parents and kids love playing with it so really great problem there that you're solving and it's a really interesting space um speaking of d2c and e-commerce i know that you're selling direct to consumer on your website but also in retail locations yeah. um what are some of the changes that you may you see in D 2 C specifically uh, in the e commerce space, any changes that you see happening over the next one to three years?
1: Well, uh, I'm sort of I'm almost I almost feel a bit too old to answer questions like this because, you know, uh, as I said, you know if you go back to fashion, I, when I just before I left the fashion industry, I was a product photographer, so I was doing a lot of e commerce photography for brands like mm-hmm. uh, uh, Calvin Klein and Donna Karen and and people like that, and. It was really interesting because it was just as e-commerce photography was becoming a thing in the fashion industry, and a friend of mine, I think uh, you know, a mutual acquaintance, Tony King, he was doing a lot of high fashion websites, and he was giving me a lot of photography work. Um, and it was sort of the end of well-paid product photography because I was getting paid really well, and suddenly, you know, as th- as that sort of that phase in my career. Progressed just before the birth of my sec- before the birth of Davy, Dave, our second kid, suddenly it went. It just disappeared overnight. Every, yeah. all the brands like Donna Karen and Calvin Klein and and the stores like Bloomingdale's, they all suddenly realised that instead of paying people like me three thousand dollars a day to photograph twenty five shoes on a white background, they could get a twenty two year old college graduate, build a studio for themselves in their own office building in you know, in in a hundred square feet, and put that person on a thirty five thousand dollar a year salary to take the same picture I was taking. So all of the creativity seemed to be being sucked out of the fashion industry in favor of these white background, you know, just a shoe on a white background, and, and, and a website that sold 100 shoes photographed on the same day on the same white background. Um, mm-hmm. And as a creative, I found that quite depressing. But again, that was probably the final nail in the coffin of my career in fashion. It was what spurred me to jump out of the fashion industry. Um, but what I've noticed recently... Uh, especially in fashion as well is that the budgets aren't anywhere close to what they used to be when when people were devoting you know 10 million I used to I worked on high fashion advertising campaigns where there was a $20 million budget for a 2-day shoot including the fee for the celebrity of course most of which was mm. going to them but you know the amounts of money we were given to spend on a 2-day shoot all of that's gone now i think um, apart with some very notable exceptions but the fashion websites and, and that were just doing this white background photography—they're all slowly. They've all found a way of bringing creativity back into it and bringing, you know, their individual aesthetic into their websites. And I actually used um, a Gucci website. I can't. I can't remember what it was exactly. It was a, a website that they built for a range of sneakers last year, which was the most amazing looking website. Um, I I can't I'm frustrated I can't remember what it was but anyway I was I used that as reference when we built the NOSHI website. Mm. Um you know, and so I think everybody's realizing that you know this this shift is is seismic you know into e-com this is where everything has to be nowadays and you have to devote you've got to win customers and keep them you know you've got to make the website interesting. Um and I think you know it, from that perspective it it, it it is all being dragged up slowly and slowly, but surely, and, you know, there are some amazing e-commerce looking website, amazing looking e com websites out there now.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and it's definitely important to, content is really, um, really one of the biggest things on a site, like you could have a pretty standard, you know, as long as it's well designed, follows some best practices. I think the content really needs to speak to the customer, to your point, you know, now that DDC is growing, it's more important than ever. So maybe back a few years ago, some brands are maybe pulling some of that budget away from content. And I think it might be coming back in right now, yeah, yeah. Um, especially when it comes to lifestyle brands that you're trying to develop. And, you know, there's interesting ways, especially smaller brands can be able to leverage smaller budgets, um, whether that's, you know, working with influencers and getting user-generated content and and incorporating that into the website because that that really resonates with customers a lot more than just, like, you know, tons of lifestyle imagery and and things like that or just product imagery. Especially with a brand like yours, I do think it's important to have that. You know, people want to see social proof um, on the site. They want to see kids using it, why, and them loving it, you know, like happy kids, like in real life, not just, like, you know, faking that as a commercial. But yeah, that's a really great point. Um, so you also sell brick and mortar yeah. um, in uh, retail locations. Um, what have been some of the challenges that you faced in that space? I know that's very different from D DTC, uh, but because you're doing both, it's you have these multiple channels. How does that differ from DTC? And, you know, what have been some of the challenges there?
1: Um, nothing... Anticipated, and nothing that I didn't feel overwhelmed by. Because you know, I came into this industry completely cold. You know, somebody put Mm. a really good idea in front of me, and I was like, I felt so strongly that it was such a good idea that I just went, "Okay, this is what I'm going to do now," and I did it. And 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 I didn't. I had no um, idea as to how complicated it was to launch a, a CPG brand. I had no idea how difficult it was to get a foot in the door of the food industry, which is an insane industry. You, know, you think about the fashion industry being crazy. The food industry, is it, it's been a ride, and that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. We sell in Walmart. I mean, the plan normally you know with a brand like ours would be you would build up and build up and build up through independent stores um, into smaller chain grocery stores and the ultimate goal is to end up in Walmart. We started in Walmart because I was at Expo West, and a really young buyer from Walmart suddenly appeared out of the crowd. And in the space of two or three months, we had the green light, and we went into Walmart six months later. Um, That in itself is a challenge because Walmart obviously is the size it is. And on the one hand, they have been so amazing to work with. I mean, I can't say enough good things about them. They are so good at what they do, and they are so mm-hmm. accommodating of small founder-led brands like ours. And so you know they they nurture you and they help you. But the bottom line is they have hundreds, thousands of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a line in the sand. If you miss a delivery date on this purchase order, we're going to have a problem. So, you suddenly find yourself in four, five, six hundred stores, and you've got to produce enough product to get into those stores and to fill all the initial POs, but you've also always got to have enough products on hand to fill any purchase orders that come through, and they come through mm. every single day. So for a very, very small brand like us, we, you know, we're entirely self-funded. We've got a small handful of friends and family investment, but beyond that, it's been entirely self-funded. We've never had a marketing budget. Yeah, So the pressure is there. That's where the pressure is. Like. We've been given this golden opportunity by Walmart, and they've, I've had conversations with them wherein they have explained to me, you know, how how interesting they are. They think this brand is, um, but it's it's sort of we've done it backwards, and and yeah. again because that wasn't. Sort of ne- that was never really apparent to me. I was like, "Oh, we're going to be in Walmart now. That's great." Um, no, it- <laughs> I was like, "Of course." You know, at the time, I was like, "Bloody hell, this is really this is a big deal." But um, it was the only daunting part of it. Part of it is making sure
0: we can keep up with it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that that's something that I've heard before. Is that you know they're a lot less forgiving um when it comes to certain things and they know that they hold a lot of the cards right they know that they that you want to be in the store it's profitable for you and that they're going to make the terms but also you know they're they're it, I, I do think their understanding of smaller brands but at the same time like you know it, they're not going to really um care as much whether you're a large brand or a smaller brand if like you can't meet that purchase order or if you're then you, know, you yeah. need to be able to, to make it, so. As long as <laughs> you're making
1: money for them and, and, and for yourself, yeah. You know, as long as everybody's making the money that they, they set out to make on the deal, then everyone's happy. But, yeah. you know, the interesting thing is, the ironic thing is, there are other grocery chains that, that I would love for us to be in that we can't afford to be in because we don't have the mm-hmm. margin to, to meet. There are other demands, and of course, mm-hmm. you know, as we grow, our, our cogs comes down and our margins go up, and we will we will end up in those stores, but yeah. it's just a, sort of an interesting place that we're in at the moment, in that you know we're in Walmart and not many other stores, um, because of how they work and because of where we are in our evolution. You mean, other other big box stores, you know, I've had amazing relationships with. You know, I I sent out a bunch of when I I remember sitting in bed one night thinking, okay. I've got this product to a point now where I need to start telling the world that it exists. Um, I've got to find the courage to to tell Whole Foods and Target and Walmart and Safeway and Kroger. And mm. and I, I remember sitting in bed and going, okay, I'm going to do this, and sending the first email and pressing send and being terrified, and then pressing the second, and writing the second email and pressing send. And I sent about eight emails that night, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and by 10 o'clock, I'd had really positive responses from Safeway. And two other stores, um, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Huge, <laughs> like big, big stores. Um, That's great. And, and 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 yeah. To cut a long story short, it was it became apparent that we 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 I, they we weren't quite ready for them, but they were because the product is unique and interesting. Yeah, you know, it is. A, I I I still genuinely think it's an amazing idea and an amazing product, and it's going to be huge. But they, these stores haven't seen it before, and it was interesting enough that they all wanted information.
0: And I, that's know, great. We will end up in those stores eventually. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's a, a great response to have from those major retailers, yeah. right? That's that, that they like the product, they were interested from the start, and it's working. So, you know, that that's that's great. And it gave you um, the
1: confidence to. I was like, okay, wow, okay, this is yeah. good. I was right.
0: This is a good idea. Okay, let's move forward. Sometimes it just takes that one or two to get you through that. And yeah. you're like, okay, well, this is going to work for me. Yeah. Now I'm a lot more confident to move forward on it. Yeah. Uh, and that goes with anything in business. Yeah. Um, so as far as you mentioned that there's a lot of different products in these stores, like your, you know, when someone comes to your D2C website, they're seeing just your product. Yeah. When someone goes into Walmart or Kroger's or something, they're seeing hundreds, if not thousands of products. And just on that shelf alone, where you might be sitting, there's, you know, I know food paint is a unique product and it stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it has recognizable characters in there like Peppa Pig and, um, the, uh, uh some of the other ones that you have. Are we very on um, those? Well. Very, very, un- very, very, well. well. yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Very noticeable, especially to millennials too. Yeah. Um, the to children and millennials. Um, but you know, why should parents choose your product over something else? I know that there's some others out there, maybe not doing exactly the same thing at all, but when they're sitting on the shelf, what's gonna make them pick up your product and you know, why should that
1: Well, again, going straight going all the way back to day one when the idea was put in front of me, I was like it was like a million light bulbs going off. Yeah, I, I can, see, I could see immediately how big an idea and how big a deal this product could become. But I also mm. realized immediately that it was unique. It was new. There's nothing else out there. There's no other condiments designed specifically for use by children. And um, I knew that there was going to be a learning curve for our target audience. And and um, it's a long game, right? So I've, I, I always knew it was going to be a long game. And its exposure we needed exposure we needed to be we needed to legitimize the concept and we needed to, people to see the concept and and being somewhere like Walmart where you are in hundreds of stores in the syrups aisle which was very important to us that it was placed correctly in the store we were taken on by Walmart as part of an innovation set that they did mm. which was yeah amazing you know it is an innovative product eternally grateful that they saw that and that they took us on but you know, i always knew and 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 had said to them a couple of times where this really needs to be in your store is in the syrup style because what it is it's an alternative to maple syrup it's it's you know i unwittingly designed a product for pancake and waffle breakfast and because i'm british i had no idea how big a deal pancake and waffle breakfasts are in the us <laughs> and, but i but i somehow without realizing it designed a product specifically to go With pancake and waffle breakfast and it goes great on oatmeal in the wintertime as well but you know it's always going to be used mostly on pancakes and waffles Um, and so having it in the syrup style next to the maple syrup i always knew would explain the product to parents and you talk about similar products really the closest products there are out there to food paint are be pouch foods, you know the the, mm-hmm. the baby like Ella's Organic Kitchen yeah. and, and Plum Organics and and Peter Rabbit's and and that sort of stuff. And and Ella's was an inspiration. Paul Lindley, the guy who sets up Ella's Kitchen, you know, I, I had conversations with him very early on in in Noshe's evolution. And and aesthetically, you know, I you know Ella's has got an amazing you know an amazing brand, you know, an amazing sort of um, what's the words look. Like? completely my mind's gone blank but but their their branding is
0: good unfortunately we had a few technical difficulties with the microphones on this podcast but it was really great to discuss uh, what nashi foods is doing as well as going direct to consumer as a CPG brand as well as selling in big box retailers, the challenges there as well as the opportunities that are there for uh, ch- uh, CPG brands as well as uh, sp- more specifically um, in the, the the children's market. So uh, I was really great speaking with Tomo. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having them on the podcast again. Sorry for those technical difficulties. Uh, we really need to work out our microphone issues. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of the X podcast.